Welcome to another episode of your Wild and Exposed podcast. Before we begin today's show, we have an exciting announcement from our sponsor, Precision Camera in Austin, Texas, the largest camera store between New York and L.A. Precision Camera is offering Wild and Exposed listeners a free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images with free shipping as well within the United States. To get this, go to our website at wildandexposed.com. On our homepage, go to the menu at the top right and go to our sponsors page. There, you'll find a quick link to Precision Camera. And once you're on their page, go to the option for a virtual consultation with one of their friendly and knowledgeable staff that'll be more than happy to discuss and answer any questions that you might have for gear that you're interested in. At the conclusion of your visit, they'll give you a coupon code that will give you access to order this free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images. By supporting Precision Camera, you're also supporting your favorite podcast, Wild and Exposed. Now, on with today's show. Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast. We've got the full crew back for the first time in what Skype told me was the last two months. We haven't talked to Michael Morrow for a while. He's on location, and uh, we it is a need to know, and apparently none of us need to know where he's at, so we can't talk about that. Well, welcome back, Michael Morrow. Thanks, man. I'm just excited to do this today. I thought about it all day while I was in the field shooting. I was like, man, I get to talk with, with my buddies about photography. And uh, Mark Raycroft coming to us from... Canada. Yes. Welcome, Mark. It's great to see all you guys. It's nice to be back together. I love the episodes that we do as a group. I mean, it's a different flavor than the guests, but I mean, the guest stuff, we always learn something new. We've got some fantastic episodes coming up, people with guests, but it's, I'm looking forward to hearing, I know some things Michael can talk about, so it's going to be a good, good catch-up episode today. Yeah, there's a few. So the three things that he can talk about, we'll discuss in depth. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be the Michael show. <laughs> and Jason coming to us from Utah. How have things been yep. there, Jason? Uh, it's been good. Been good. Springtime's definitely coming on and been out chasing some turkeys and some waterfowl here and there a little bit. And it's been fun. But yeah, it's good. It's good to see you guys. It has been a very weird year with the grouse. I'll just open oh, yeah. it up by saying that it has, they are in completely different locations. There'll be one male strutting before daylight and then you leave and come back, drive by another lek, and they're out there at 1030 in the morning. The weather's been part of that because we've had, you know, we've had a, a couple good spring storms. We've got a couple more coming this weekend, but we are definitely having a difficult year with the with the sage grouse 
That being said, did get some slow motion video like we talked about. I was it was one of my goals um, at 120, so that was that was good. So Michael, we're all curious to hear what you've been up to, and I know there's a lot of it that you're under contract to not discuss, but the things that you can. How's it going? It's been a blast so far. It's a lot of work, you know. It's it's uh, up early and back late every day but that's what we all do anyway right so it's like i'm getting paid to have what to do what i would be doing if i wasn't getting paid so it's been pretty awesome started out in texas at the end of february and then now i'm in tennessee and then i leave tennessee and i go to louisiana and i've shot all but like three days so far which is you know you can't do that in the you know, the way we used to do stuff. I mean, go out and shoot wildlife photography. Yeah. I mean, when I was doing all the corporate work, you just couldn't, you know, I could squeeze in what, maybe 60 days a year, 70 days a year. But now it's just nonstop. It's kind of fun. But it was cool going to Texas in February because it was just like summer. So I feel like I've been in summer for two months already. Although there's been a few cold days. I did have to break out the down jacket a couple of times, but it's been pretty nice being in that weather pattern. I have been picking ticks off of me already, so that's... In Texas, if it doesn't bite you, poke you, stab you, stick you, and here it's copperhead snakes, the possibility of rattlesnakes. They all talk about rattlesnakes. I haven't seen one, and I don't think very many people do, but they are around, and then ticks. So there's a lot of little things that you're constantly... You know, and I, I've never seen a copperhead, right? So I thought, well, you know, I ought to at least know what one looks like. So I pulled it up on my phone. They blend in like, I mean, people that are familiar with copperheads are going to think I'm dumb for even not knowing what I'm talking about. But you look at a picture, and if they're in a pile of leaves, I challenge you to find that snake. Yeah, and the so, fall um, with the colored leaves, they're almost impossible. Yeah. Yeah, so I've, I, uh, after I started looking at the pictures, now I walk a lot more gingerly. I bought a walking <laughs> stick, so I like poke it out in front of me everywhere I go just to make sure. But all in all, it's been an awesome thing. I got a chance to run a bunch of new cameras. I played with some camera traps. I've bought, you know, you get out on these gigs and you're like, oh, my life would be so much easier if I had this. And then you try to see what you can find out there and, you know, if, if it's not too expensive, you buy it. And I've bought quite a few little gadgets that have definitely made my life a little bit easier out here, out here on the road. So I thought we could talk about some of that kind of stuff. And then uh, earlier when I was talking to you guys before we got on the podcast, I was just sitting here looking at all the card readers I have for this particular job. I have six different card readers for different types of media for different cameras that we're using on this shoot. So every night when you download all this stuff, it's just like, okay, I need, you know, it's a, it's a process of this camera gets this and this camera gets this and we're shooting red and Sony and Canon and something else, GoPros. And the, the Sony's, have you guys seen those itty bitty little, they're not like a SD card. What is Sony's new little card? No, it's a CF Express B, I think. B, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, itty bitty. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the mini SD cards. 
I hadn't seen one of those until um, one of the cameras we're using is that Sony. Is it the S three? A seven. Does that make sense? A seven S three. Great low light camera. So that's, that's uh, the yeah. one that got sent up into the Aurora. That's the same camera. Okay, so that's that one. So here's the here's why we're using that one. We, uh, you know, we had Jake Davis on the podcast talking about camera traps, and I had never used a camera trap. I obviously understood them, but I'd never used one. And then this particular project we're working on, we figured out we needed to have some camera traps out. So I'm like, okay, here we go, jumping right into the big world of camera traps, and I don't have a clue what I'm doing, and all I have is Canon. And that, all the research I'm doing, everybody's using Sony and camera traps because of that Sony A7S III is low light, and you got a lot of... Uh, it's a good video uh, what camera is it? as well. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's a good video camera, but you got that dynamic range that really helps. And, you know, and, and camera trapping is like, if you listen to that episode with Jake, it's it's an art, man. It's You're trying to predict all this stuff, trying to figure out where the action is going to happen. You're going to, you're, you never know when it's going to come during the day. So do you, do you expose for midday? Do you expose for late evening? But if what you're trying to capture happens midday and you're exposed for late evening, what do you do? What I ended up doing was setting it for auto ISO and then just set my aperture and my shutter speed on manual. And I'm hoping that that's going to make it work. We'll see. But I did learn, I guess what I started this whole conversation was, I bought two of the Cognosis boxes, the camera trap boxes. And all I had was Canon. So I threw a Canon in there. And, and it, I don't have any clue how to figure it out. And I thought, I thought kind of, well, I hoped it was all going to be plug and play. <laughs> so they arrive at my little cabin here and I set them up. And I'm like, okay, I'll just plug this in, plug this in and set up the, the passive sensor. And away we go. And not so much. It wasn't that difficult to figure it out. But it took a lot of little playing with the camera to figure out how to, you know, on the Canon R5, you to start video, you push the little button on the top, unless you go into the menu and select the shutter button to start it and stop it. Well, the Cognosis system works by with the shutter button. So you have to go in and do that. And it took me about 45 minutes of playing and not getting it to work. To, finally, that thought crossed my mind. It's like, oh, I wonder if I set the shutter button to start and stop, would that actually work? And that's what did it. But then, you know, I have to go in there every couple of days and change batteries and cards and stuff like that. And it's so, um, what should I say? It's unnerving because you're like, I hope I don't screw this up because if what we're trying to capture doesn't happen or happens and I did something to screw up a camera, so what we did is I initially started by putting up one camera trap. Secondarily, after a couple of days, I had bought two boxes, but I only installed one because I was like, one can get this. That's what we need. I don't want to make it more confusing than what it really was. But after thinking about it, I'm like, if this Canon screws up, then maybe I should put a Sony up there too. So I have a Canon and a Sony in camera traps on the same thing. A little different lens configuration so we could use both shots if, it both, if they both work, which they should. But man, it's so, you wish you could monitor those things all the time and just know everything's right. 
And then you can't necessarily be out there in the woods trying to figure it out, right? You kind of got to get everything figured out and then go install it and then hope that you got what you got. But to troubleshoot stuff in the woods, I mean, the longer you spend out there, the more scent you're putting around, the more this, more that. You just want to go out there, set it up, and and leave. And so it was, oh, I've had a lot. I've lost a lot of. A lot of hours just like how do i do did i do that right is that right and then i come back to the you know a couple of days later to change cards and pray that i got everything or that everything actually got recorded that it, if anything did happen in front of the camera so and it has it is working but still every time i change a card i'm like i hope this thing works <laughs> i can't wait to try it i've i've got a couple spots that i really want to get some out there um you know it's nice to have private land around so that you can do that leave them without having to worry about it but we found a we were out on the sage grouse like the other day and found a cabin that there was a bobcat scat in the cabin and so and then the inside of the cabin of course the light the the shadows and light beams that come through as a result of the cabin kind of breaking down you've got a lot of highlights you got a lot of what are they corpuscular rays i think um they call them but the the rays coming in and the dust in the cabin and just that dramatic lighting opportunity that you can you could get to possibly catch a cat so i'm excited about that possibility even though it's you know man-made it's old it was built in the early 1900s and uh yeah, it's a beautiful spot. Well, just thinking about that setup, are you thinking about doing stills or are you want to do video or what are you trying to do? I'd like to do? to do video. And I think, you know, with the dynamic range of the R5 is not as good as the the Nikon, but I think it's still good enough video-wise. I found it to be a lot stronger camera than um, than stills. And so I think video-wise the the dynamic range will be sufficient if you record it in all eye that you could bring back some of the shadows a little bit and then take down some of the highlights just a hair and still be able to come out with a pretty good finished product but it's definitely going to be a, a motion type um, trigger in that scenario and you've got the thing that i don't know is you've got a wider range of area i mean it could literally if you put it in the corner of a room, it could come from 90 degrees. And so where do I put the triggers? Those are the kind of questions that I have. And what type of trigger do you use for that? So I'm, I'm excited well, to explore with it a little bit. What was, well, I didn't really have anybody to call. I was wishing I had Jake's number on my phone. Cause, but then I'm like, I can't call him. I can't be a newbie and say, Hey, can you just help me out here? And so, when I'm sitting there on the website trying to figure out what I needed to order, it's like, do I want a passive trigger? Do I want an active trigger? What is an active trigger? I mean, I know what it is, but what, what do I need to make it work? And um, turns out the situation I'm in, the passive trigger is way more functional because you they, the active trigger, they have to actually break a beam. And then once they break that beam, that triggers the camera to start doing what it needs to do and then it has to actually wake the camera up give it a little bit of time to wake up 
then start the recording. But then here's my question, and what I'm I can't really try it on this because we're actually trying to shoot this for the for a show. But you know, could I rely on the autofocus? Could I rely on the animal eye? I don't know. You know, I need to. What I want to do is I want to get out there and try it with like a dog. You know, just something that you can do in your backyard and and just see if it locks on and holds it. So right now, I'm just on manual focus. I know Mark's got a. Mark was going to comment on that, but I did try it with a pronghorn antelope uh, while we were out shooting grouse and metalarks. And with motion, it picks up the motion very well. So I think you would probably be all right, you know, as long as there wasn't going to be a lot of things moving around at the same time. You think you're just going to have your subject. I, I in that those rooms of that cabin, I'm going to just leave it on autofocus and take the chance that it's going to catch the motion i mean i'm not on assignment so i'm not out anything if it doesn't work but it did pick up very well and if you look at the i posted a metal arc video on instagram and if you look the the metal arc was on a sagebrush and then it was it was pursuing a female and he jumped off and so it pulled focus on the closest sagebrush but as soon as he jumped back up it picked him up just like that and he was he was tack sharp so it does do a good job with motion if you know if you're in a position where you can try that i know you're in a you excuse me you have to produce being on assignment i'm in a position where i can experiment a little bit so i'll let you know what i find out (laughs) mark you had something just a minute ago i'm a little worried about you getting ghosts in the cabin ron are you prepared for that what are you going to do when the ghosts show up on your I'm camera? I'm strictly going in the daytime. When we go the back out. in the daytime, too. Well, you know, they're not as active. They rest. But, yeah, okay. you're going in the daytime, but what's your camera going to capture in the nighttime? Well, right? I don't know. All giggles. I mean, that well, that's be, what I mean on the camera. Yeah, it's going to be it exciting would be awesome, to see what wouldn't you get. It? Paranormal episode, yeah. <laughs> so it's, this is a good subject, and I, I'm wanting to pick up a kit, too, and I've been on the Cognosis website and looked at building it and and there's so many questions that come to mind and one that you brought up and you mentioned the active versus passive and you mentioned the active breaks a beam just for clarity for our listeners what's the passive so it's just a it's just a motion sensor essentially is what it is so you just put it where you think the motion is going to be and and i forget what the distance of the i think the beam is 12 feet that you have so then the challenge becomes too hiding that so that it's not picked up so if your camera's on a wider shot you know where do you hide that little guy the cool thing is it is all wireless so that is pretty awesome because you don't have to worry about trying to hide a wire and in my situation i was able to frame out that trigger so that is pretty cool but the active you now you have two you have a two of those that are that are making that beam that something crosses and triggers. So then you got to hide two things. But I I ended up ordering both. So I've got an active and a passive just because I wasn't sure what was going to work. And honestly, I, I, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought, well, maybe the active trigger would be just one beam, but it makes all the sense in the world that it has to talk to something else so it can tell when that beam's broke. But the passive trigger is... it's 
worked flawlessly on what we're doing right now. So I guess if you had a situation where you wanted to record something coming down a trail, you know, if you were trying to get a mountain lion or, uh, I don't know, a bear, a, a brown bear or something going down a trail, you could have it trigger further away and then your focus point would be picked up so that your triggers were out of the shot. And then by the time it got to when the camera turns on, then, because you can set all the delays in there. And now I have to say that I called the people at Cognosis. What happened? Something happened where I had to call them. Uh, uh, I don't remember. There was just a general question that I had for them. Oh, so they sell these lens tubes, right? So, and I had envisioned maybe I could throw an 80 to 2 or a 70 to 200 in there. But there's no chance. The lens tubes are only, I, they have three different sizes. So it's basically just pretty much, I think the biggest, well, what I have right now is I have a 105, a 24 to 105 on that Canon R5. And I was able to get it out to 105. But what I had to do is I had to buy, uh, I think, the large tube that they have and the small tube and then screw them together. But they come with a pre-installed uh, haze filter in them. So he wants, the guy at Cognosis wants this watertight when you get it. Because he can make it where he just sends you the filter, sends you the tube, sends you everything. But I'm sure he's had problems where if someone doesn't install it right and then their camera gets wet, they're blaming, you know, well, this thing doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. The problem I had was, you know, they come installed and he puts some sort of silicone or something on there because getting those filters off is difficult. In fact, I talked to him on the phone. He's, I said, so these are just screw on, right? Because it, it wouldn't budge. And he's like, yeah, he, he said, it's just screw on. But I put a little silicone on there. And he's like, honestly, I've never been able to get one off without destroying it. And I was like, oh, great. Because then I was going to... I was going to have to go to like 70 instead of 105. And I really wanted to get to 105. So while I was talking to him on the phone, I looked down, I have a toolbox of just miscellaneous stuff that I brought with me just to try to what, fix or build or do whatever I had to do. And I had a piece of electrical wire in there. So that Romex wire that has the white sheath on it or the white, um, you guys know what, just household electrical wire. So I had a piece of that in there. So I took and wrapped that around this itty bitty little width of a filter. It's a 95 millimeter filter, but you know, these filters are pretty skinny, but I was able to wrap it around the edge of the filter and then hold onto that tube and just put the, the, you know, the heft to it. And while I was on the phone with him, I was like, I just got it. I got it to come off. And he's like, you did what? He's like, I've never got one of those off. How'd you do it? So I was, I was able to tell him that, you know what I did he's like oh that's that's awesome but I have six of those tubes and I was only able to get the filter off of two of them so don't expect to get them off he said you can order it without a filter so if you think you're going to be stacking up these tubes make sure you order a filter that does not have a uh, or order a tube that doesn't have a filter on it hmm. but it's just all these little things that you're like oh my gosh and I'm just the only one here. The shoot I was at in Texas, the shoot I was on in Texas, Doug was with me on that shoot. 
and Doug's awesome. You know, a lot of what I'm finding on these these shoots like this, it's problem solving. It's as much problem solving as it is shooting. Because you'll get to it and, you know, you'll get the shot list. And then you'll, you're like, this shot is impossible. Well, it is impossible if you, you know, just have blinders on. But then if you start letting it expand a little bit, you're like, well, we could try a camera trap. Or maybe we, oh, here's another thing we did. So we had to get a shot in Texas. Um, I can't even talk about the shot. Anyway, we had to get this shot that was super difficult, and I didn't know how the heck we were going to do it. Doug aliens. Like, was it aliens? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He had this light bulb go off in his mind, and he's like, ah, the Cam Ranger. Have you guys ever heard of the Cam Ranger? Yeah, it's a, you can basically use it as a remote for your camera. Exactly. And I have one, but I've never used it. It sits on my shelf because I'm like, I don't know what I'll ever use this for. Well, Doug had actually used one. So it turns out the one that he had didn't work with the R5 and he's shooting the R5 too. So we had to get online, order Amazon and have this thing shipped out by Amazon to the middle of nowhere, Texas. I was so shocked when they showed up. But it's a little, uh, let's see, you run it with your iPhone as a transmitter. And then it's got a little receiver that receives that information and then triggers the camera. Or on that camera, you can do anything. I can foc- I can switch from video to stills. I can focus. I can do everything I want. I can change the expo. I can change every setting that you want to change. And I was 100 feet away. So the, the shot we were trying to get was impossible. Because yeah. we wanted the super wide with the animal in the shot. Well, that's never going to happen if a person sitting in the run of the camera. So we were able to put the cameras under a camouflage and make it work that way. And um, I just sat off in the bushes about 100 feet away and I was able to control the cameras and it worked out great. So that's another little tool that has been pretty awesome along the way. And it's only a couple hundred bucks, I think, for the one that runs the R5. Awesome. Yeah, that that gives you a ton of flexibility. And, you know, it's another... It's another answer to, you know, we had Garrett Venn a while back and he was talking about filming the, uh, oh, what was it? Oh, the Hawks, Ferruginous Hawks. And he ran cable. But it's another answer to that because you could actually make the adjustments in camera. You can choose your focus point. You can do all those things with a cam ranger. And then it, it keeps you from having to have it wired. Um, but you do still have to watch your distance from your subject. And that's, Mark, you were just asking about Nikon and Canon both have the app that you can use, which is Bluetooth. But the distance is pretty short. The Cam Ranger just basically gives you some extended range. So when Mich- Michelle was on... In the winter, Michelle Velberg, she mentioned she uses it on her kayak, I think, by putting her camera down low and then sitting back and running it through her phone. Obviously, she's a few feet away then at most. Yeah, and you can definitely use the Bluetooth version then. I can't remember what right. the app was called, but it I mean, it's the same one that allows you to see a JPEG of your image, you know, on your phone right when you mm-hmm. shoot it, but... Yeah, you can control. Yeah, we had a little issue with ours where if we sat it right next to the camera, I was over a little rise. So it was line of sight for sure, but there was just enough rise in the topography where it wasn't line of sight from 
you know, I was running two cameras too. I was running Doug's and mine because he was shooting with the red, trying to get the stuff with the red too from a distance with the long lens. So I was running one off an iPad and one off of a phone. And we ended up figuring out that we went and got some like three foot sticks and then taped, <laughs> used gaffer's tape and taped these little receivers to the top of these sticks. So we got that three foot <laughs> added and, and what we were shooting didn't mind the sticks. It, it felt kind of natural to them, I guess, because they didn't, they did what exactly what we wanted them to do, but that three foot made the difference. So I couldn't have it right on the ground. We showed but I was about 70 feet away. Yeah. In the yeah. show notes, we have that photo that could go in the uh, show notes just of that. I yeah. Think. Yeah. We could probably do that. Yeah. I'll put that in there. Jason, cool. there's an MacGyver idea for uh, when we go down to try to find the lizards this spring. Get some wide angle collared lizard shots. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't need the cam ranger. <laughs> you don't need the cam ranger. You don't? <laughs> no, I think some of these we probably could get the wide angle without any <laughs> any problems. You just gotta find the right lizard. Right. <laughs> That's it. Find the right That's a t shirt. That's, that's always that's always the way it is. Yeah. Find yeah. the right lizard. It's uh, great. There's a lot to that. You find find the right bull moose. Some yeah. of them are elk. Some of them are no ghosts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, somebody who wants to get into camera trapping and buying a setup, given that you're running, and I don't own Sony or Canon, and I'm still holding my breath for Nikon, are you finding one of those systems operating more smoothly than the other in the Cognosis? No, I mean, both of them have worked pretty flawlessly. I mean, it was my lack of knowledge that was the apprehension. Once I just sat down and I read the directions, instructions, and I just did it, and I had a little faith, it works. And it just continues to work. And you know, watch. I'm not going to get the shot that I want to get now that I said that. But the one problem I did have is we were like, let's shoot this on 8K. We got the R5. We can shoot on 8K. And I had a one terabyte card in there. Well, at 8K raw, a one terabyte card is only 48 minutes. That's crazy. Well, what we're shooting is, I mean, we can get action, not the action we want. And it can, you know, with it can go on for two or three hours a day. And I'm like, uh-oh, that's not going to work. You know, when I went up the first time and I the card I opened the camera box and the the screen said card full, I was like, uh oh. So I promptly changed that back to 4K, and then I'm just doing 4K HQ on the Canon, and that gets me four and a half hours on a one terabyte card. Yeah, so it's still a little kind of sketchy and that's another good reason for running two cameras because i hopefully have a backup because the sony's files aren't quite as big so um but i just know i have to go in there pretty frequently and just check those cards but the cool thing is is the battery for the camera trap for the box for the the wireless technology that battery also runs your camera so you can buy a dummy battery that plugs into the box and then that battery, your camera plugs into that box, the battery plugs into that box. And it's a pretty good sized little battery. So I haven't tested to see how long it'll run that camera, but I'll bet you it would go for a week. 
as long as there's not just tons of recording going on. And that's all part of the but kit? I'm, yeah, that's the other thing. When I made the order, I clearly was in a hurry because I ended up, I was like, oh, yeah, I better get a couple extra batteries. Oh, I better get an extra cable because, you know, cables always break. Oh, I better get an extra this, uh, extra dummy battery. Well, now I got like six of everything. I will order way too much because I was too, you know, I should have just sat down and said, oh, the kit comes with, I think the kit does come with the battery. It does come with the cable that you need for the camera that you're specifying that you're going to use. I didn't read that. And so but I you got still to, have Ron's credit card. Yeah, I'm still using yeah, Ron's PayPal yeah. account. Okay, good. <laughs> But it's uh, I think it would be a ton of fun. I think you could do a whole project. And as we witnessed from talking to Jake, I mean, there's a big business. And if you can get good at this stuff, you can pretty much write your ticket. I want to do it with Caribou so badly this fall. I mean, I was doing it with the GoPros or action cameras and loving that game of kind of cat and mouse prediction, the trails, low angle, mid angle, high angle, group, close up, wide angle. You know, it's, it's just, but then how many of these can... I'll start with one camera trap. Yeah. Right. I mean, but I think and and time to play wise. with it. I, you know, to have time to set it up in the backyard. And if you don't have a dog, then you're just going to have to run in front of it yourself. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That'll work. Set it up, and then you'll well, it'll give you the you know the distance and how things are working out and exposure and play with it. That's so Doug's on another shoot right now. I'm going to meet back back up with him when we go to Louisiana. But I was talking to him the other day on the phone and he's got six of these camera traps on his shoot that he's on right now. Yeah. Just, so just trying to manage all six. And that's one thing, you know, you run the app for the trigger receiver on your phone. So you can set all these settings up. So but and one passive trigger will trigger both of the cameras, both of the receivers. So I've had to figure out how can I control this one? How can I control this Sammy, uh, Sony control box? What I've ended up doing is I shut one off. I turn one on and turn the other one off and then I vice versa just to get the right. So know that I'm making the right changes on the right cameras. But it's, um, it's a blast. The only, the only thing that would suck for you, Mark, and, and maybe where you're doing caribou, it wouldn't be as bad. As you start adding up the cost of this box and the cost of a camera and all that stuff, you're going to have a box that's sitting out in the woods that could be worth four or $5,000. Right. <clears throat> Thought about that. But places I go with caribou, there aren't people that are out there usually. And I would pick a place right. that would be the case. And some of the paths or game trails they use are so back so far back in in, in the tundra or in the in the in the tuckamore or the the thickets the other thing too is you know i've got cable locks so i i'm assuming they like it's a pelican style case to some degree that it would come lockable that would mean that the person would have to come back a second time with the right equipment to do that but yeah there's definitely a risk mm -hmm. but it's remote so i mean in those areas either private land or in moose or caribou country it's you know remote enough and then i'd love to try it on bears and that's where the cable i think it'd be really important to put a cable on it to a tree so the bear doesn't decide to take it to the river or something yeah doug did say he's like you better hope a bear doesn't find your camera trap because he's going to tear it up <laughs> 
So they do get very curious. We had a trail camera out for this job just to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. Just a little regular off-the-shelf trail, trail camera. And the very first day we had it out there, a little bear found it and proceeded to adjust its placement and put a couple of teeth marks in it. And So they get very he, – he didn't tear it off the tree. But right. he did have some fun with it. That's great video if it's quality. I mean, that's I've done that with shale cameras. And because we have bears, black bears where we live, I do put them in metal housing on the tree. But they'll come right up to it. And the little cubs, you'll see their face. And then all you see just brown and <laughs> all over it. And just <laughs> 15 minutes just playing with it and can't do anything. But, you know, in situations like that, I'd love to try it on bears. But would have to lock it. And, and the housing would have to be able to withstand some playing, right? But caribou, I think, is doable. People aren't where the caribou are. Yeah. And and moose would be too. And, and all these different species. I mean, where we hike up for sheep, we could leave one out for however many days would tolerate it on, you know, they, they have game trails as well along the Sheep the mountain would be a face. little bit tougher because they're just unpredictable. They can go, I mean, the caribou are as well. There could be mm-hmm. two trails parallel in each other. They choose one Don't and start, not the yeah. other. And then you're... I had, yeah. Your hose, but Jason, I was but just But you know, that's the about... beautiful thing about the camera trap is the, sorry, I probably cut in on you because your feed is coming in and out on me. But the cool thing is, is I think you could run this camera trap for a week and not worry about it. So that's the brilliant thing. So if, if like if you're going for sheep or something and they happen to be just travel through and they may not come back for an, a week or so your chances are still pretty good that it's going to work for you. Yeah. Or lynx. You never know what you get in a situation like that. Exactly. Wolver- Wolverine. Exactly. I got two other things. Two other things on that. Hang on. That Hang on. <laughs> I want to get this out. <laughs> I've been trying oh, for a while now. You keep cutting out, so I can't tell who's talking. <laughs> so uh, Jason and I were on a, was a elk encounter and there's a water hole involved and i think that would be the perfect spot for because there's there's one there's areas where you're not allowed to be during certain times of the day but if you're physically not there you're not violating any any laws and you're where you could watch um, your equipment no problem Uh, so i think that might be a solution to a growing growing problem it might yeah. get you some incredible footage, you know, or yeah. have potential to help out answer some of those some of those questions and concerns. But I was thinking about your um, your spot up the mountain as well, uh, because you guys had some pretty good velvet encounters, and I think that might be a good it, it might be a good remote camera spot. It probably wouldn't be a trap. You wouldn't want to leave it there. Yeah. But what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I like that idea. I think all this gets me excited. I've been looking at them too. I'm, I was actually going to ask the same question to Mike. I mean, do they, they come in a kit and it sounds like they do. So, um, you know, basically plug and play hypothetically. I know there's got to figure it out, but you got it. You get everything you need in the kit to go ahead and start doing it. But uh, and if you don't get it in the kit, Mike's got extras. Yeah. Sounds like he's got plenty. I, <laughs> He might even have enough for a couple of kids. The... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. Just buy the box and we're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
few other things that I learned on these boxes is they are black. So I didn't even think about it the first day. And, you know, Canon with their heating up issues. And so I was running 8K. And the activity started happening. And that box was hot. And that morning I went there and that therm what is it the therm thermometer looking little graphic that comes on the screen yep. was flashing at me. So I promptly went and got some I couldn't really paint the box because I had it installed already. So I just went and got some camouflage wrap and just covered the covered the box itself with camouflage. Not to camouflage it, but more to just keep Hopefully the sun off keep of it. it cool. Right. Yeah, and so I haven't had a problem since then. And the other thing, too, is the it comes with that lens tube like I was talking about. But now you've just got a filter that is open to the elements. So if you're dealing with any sun setting or if you're dealing with dust or if you're dealing with anything, rain, moisture, depending on how that thing's positioned, I was like, man, that's kind of exposed to all those elements. So I went to the hardware store and I got a, a rubber pipe fitting that goes that's a it's a reducer so it went from a four inch i think a maybe it went from a four inch clay pipe to a four inch pvc pipe which are two different sizes and it fit perfectly over that that lens tube so now it's got a cut kind of got a, a rubber lens hood and that's worked really well we've had it rained on we've had a lot of dust and and it's keeping a lot of that stuff out of the out of the lens itself you just have to be careful if you're shooting wide, putting anything there that might end up in the shot, right? Yeah, with your vignetting, you definitely have to. And the, I did have that on the Sony. if Because when I first put it in the box, it's at the widest, whatever that lens was, 24. I think that one was a 24 to 70. At 24, I could see it, and it was vignetting. So I had to go up to like 30 or something, and it cut it out. But yeah, there's just all kinds of little tips. And that's just what I've learned in two weeks i'm sure there's a million more things to play with and learn and try and Living the but dream. if you got private land or something i think it'd be perfect yeah the, the dream are we going to talk about the van today <laughs> you're driving across yeah, the country in your sprinter that was that's a whole that could be a whole podcast so what you did to that sprinter you, I, and i don't want to sidetrack if you've got other things you want to keep going on because your assignments what you no, can we talk, can talk about, about are, whatever we are super really exciting. To. All right. No, the van's cool. Well, how, how's it well, going? That was you, good. You, yeah, yeah. You did some major Sorry, makeover, guys. even though you didn't, even though you didn't expect to, right? I mean, you bought it thinking it's it's put together, it looks great, functionality seem ready to roll, but then you tore it apart. I mean, and and rebuilt it inside. Yeah, so when I what one of the things about doing these being on the road is trying to stay in shape, right? And what I'm figuring out on this particular shoot, we are walking miles a day. And I'm carrying a 60-pound pack cuz I'm carrying the red extra batteries. Well, my last shoot, we rode around in ATVs for 30 days. And we ate a lot. So that staying in shape does not work when you're riding around in ATV ATVs. <laughs> So I kind of figured that was going to be the case. So when it was time to build the van, I was like, you know, it would be really cool if I could take my bike. And it'd be really cool if I could have my bike inside the van instead of on the back of the van, just for security. When you're cruising Motorcycle? across the country. You don't... 
You know, the good old pedal bike, the right. good old no, people power. So how do I get the bike in there without taking up a bunch of space? Well, you want to stand it up and just put it, you know, in the, in the van. And the van had a bed in it. It was like four inches too low to get the bike in there standing up. So that kind of started the whole rebuild because I was like, well, I definitely need to raise up this bed so I could fit the bike in and not use up all the storage space underneath the, the bed. Well, then that was like, well, since I'm doing it, maybe I could take the fridge and put it in a different spot and then add some drawers and then, oh, well, since I'm going to do that, I might as well just put in, build a new thing for where all the solar stuff is at and that would be protected a little bit better. So yeah, when it was all said and done, I rebuilt pretty much the whole van, but now it's kind of cool and it works really well and I do have my bike with me and have I used it yet? No, but I do have it with me. It's comfort. It's comfort. <laughs> but this shoe, I've been able to get back into shape, you know, feeling good about getting around and, and doing stuff. And the van has been cool. I mean, I've, you know, it, you could totally work out of it. But the one thing that I'm finding is when you have, like I said, mentioned earlier, I have six different cameras, right? I can't imagine unloading all these cameras and having a download station where I can have all this stuff inside the van and be very comfortable. I could do it. If I had to do it, I could do it. But when you're at a place for three weeks, it's just been more convenient. The place in Texas, we had a place to stay on this private piece of property. It was just like a, a dorm with bunk beds and stuff. So we just stayed there and, and then we had a little table for downloading and stuff. So I didn't even have to, in fact, I didn't even start the van for 30 days while I was in Texas, it just sat out in the driveway and the, like two days before I was ready to go or two, day, two days before the shoot was done, I was like, you know what, I ought to start this van and see if it'll make sure it starts and it didn't, it almost didn't. I guess it did, but it almost didn't. <laughs> it started and then it died and I'm like, uh-oh. And this thing's only got like 8,000 miles on it. I'm like, what did I do? I just sat here for 30 days and I'm, I don't know what I did. But I finally got it going and then once I got it going, I'm like, ah, you know, I probably ought to just drive to town. Town was like 30 miles away just to get the battery charged back up and make sure everything was good. Well, when I put it in gear, it wouldn't go anywhere. I don't know what happened. It was like, it was like the wheels were frozen. And I, I've never, not frozen, frozen, but just stuck. And I've never lived in a really humid climate. And so maybe this is something that happens, but... I'm guessing what happened is the humidity hit those brake rotors or what is what's the part that squeezes the calipers, caliper, caliper, yeah. and then your drum or your wheel or whatever. I'm thinking that that's stuck because I, I had to put it in drive and I'd give and it's a six cylinder diesel. It's got a little bit of power to it. I'd give it everything and it would just sit there. It would and it wouldn't move an inch. Then I put it in reverse. Nothing. And I did that like probably 20 times. And finally, it sounded like a shotgun went off, but it finally broke loose. And, <laughs> and away I went. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm guessing it was the humidity that led to that. But I proceeded to drive from Texas to Tennessee, and it was fine. Or it's been fine so the far. The brakes so. worked. That's good. Brakes worked. But the only time I've used the van for actually sleeping is on traveling from these different locations to get to the locations. And it's it's so sweet to be able to just pull over and sleep and then get up and 
get to your location. So it's worked out really well. And I have the one cool thing about having it is I was able to bring a box full of tools. That's why I had that electrical wire where I could pull off that that little filter kind of thing. I mean, otherwise I would have been flying and you'd limited on equipment and what you can carry. So that right there is it's worth it just having it out there. So we can show some of the interior build pictures too on show notes. Yeah, we'll put some of those in there. Cool. I didn't do a lot, man. Once you get going on that thing, I only, I knew I had limited time, and I I thought, man, this would be a cool video, this would be a cool YouTube. I could talk about this, talk about that. It, you just start building, and then you just don't take the time to shoot it. There were some good ones you sent when you did it, though. That would behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I, I got thought, some. We'll put yeah. some in there. So I have one other thing to talk about, um, and it doesn't really pertain to photography it's photography but i got a chance to run the phantom camera we've all heard about the phantom camera right it's a super high speed you know run a thousand frames a second i'm like oh this is gonna be so cool well it is cool but it is a great big pain in the took us <laughs> it uh you went through a lot of adjectives uh, in your head right there didn't you <laughs> <laughs> It's got its filter it's in heavy. place. It's uh, it requires a ton of power, so I had a tethered battery to at all times. It takes about two minutes to start up, and you need a ton of light to run that thing. You know, I, I've had all these really cool dreams of thousand frames a second. I can never get there. In the pretty light that we like to shoot in. The fastest I could ever go was like three or four hundred frames a second. So I learned a lot about how to run that camera. And and then what's interesting about that camera is it's a sixty the camera that I was using, it was a sixty-four gigabyte internal SSD drive. So I got the sixty-four internal speed. So what happens is depending on your frame rate, that determines how many seconds you can record for. So if you're shooting at like let's say 400 frames a second i'm gonna get about 11 seconds and that is what you're gonna record so once it's recorded to and once you hit record it's just basically looping so let's just pick out an animal let's just say we're shooting an elk <coughs> excuse me jason's favorite thing and we wanted to get a fight so we got the camera rolling it's on this loop so it's just constantly covering over itself as it's going and you're waiting for that that really cool action sequence that would look really cool in slow-mo you've got to have that thing recording and then you've got to make that decision in 11 seconds that that's the shot i want no that's the shot i want no i'm gonna wait i'm gonna wait you can totally miss your whole thing by second guessing yourself thinking you're gonna get something that's better coming up because what happens is once you say okay that's the shot i want you hit stop so then it's it's got the 64 gigabytes worth of information. Now you have to write that to a card. So now you're down the time it takes to transfer the 64 gigabytes that was on the internal memory to now to an external memory that you can dump at a later date. So it's this constant battle with yourself. Is that a cool enough shot to keep or should I keep rolling? Because you know you're going to miss whatever's coming up after because you've got to record it to the card, to the external card. So I'm, 
I found out very quickly that it's a it's a really creative game as to you know it'd be perfect in a situation where you could shoot something over and over and over and then get all those little sequences but with wildlife you just don't get that right you know you might get one good fight or one good uh late takeoff or landing or one good running sequence you just don't know and then you've got to be able to say that's yep that's it and what happened was there was a couple of times where once you do it once you pick out that 11 seconds you've got to hit another button to to hit it to record well i hit stop and then i forgot to hit the button because i was so excited that i got it i forgot to record it to the card and then i just recorded another sequence right over it so then that was totally gone it was just like this whole thing of man it's super cool camera to run but it's a super anxiety-based kind of situation because number one it's big and bulky and heavy and you you know having an atv on that shoot was awesome because like there's no way you're packing around the woods you know i was using that 50 to 1000 canon lens with the phantom camera body itself and then it's basically a car battery that you're tethered to that you just haul around with you and then you got this cable and then the other thing was it there's nothing quick about it it's two minutes to get it set up so if you think you're going to roll in and shoot something right away that's not happening so it's really a camera to be used in very predictive kind of situations and locations i was going to say it would be perfect for your the hummingbird nest that you had last year yeah something yeah. like that but it'd be tough to haul around in the field you never get flustered so when i heard you talking about this camera and you could kind of hear that in the tone of your comments and your voice mm. i was like this must be this must be a piece of work at the very beginning too when when they hired me to do the job the woman asked me she's like have you ever run a phantom camera i'm like no i haven't i didn't want to lie and say i wanted the job bad right but i didn't want to you know sell myself too much so i was like no i have never run one she's like oh you'll figure it out and I'm like, oh, no. And she's like, well, maybe we'll get you a day of training before you go do the shoot. I was like, oh, that'd be really good. Well, that never panned out. We never got that. And Doug had run one one other time on a shoot, and he was just an operator. He had somebody there to set it up for him. So he kind of knew a little bit. So together, he and I kind of played with it and got it figured out. And then it was just trial and error in the field. But once you start to figure it out, it, it came together really well. But there's all those little things that once you even understand the camera it's like you're constantly second guessing yourself or you're you're like am i gonna miss the best shot just to get this okay shot or is this the best shot and i'm not gonna have a better shot that was the biggest thing to 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 play with but i'll tell you what this whole wildlife filmmaking or tv making or whatever we're doing out here whatever you want to call it having all these other cameras is so essential so knowing how to run the camera traps being able to solve problems and run the cam ranger or running a phantom camera or running a red and you know just having that really wide variety of, of talents will get you work and the bar is being raised all the time right so you can't just sit back and say oh yeah i got a really nice long lens shot of this whatever sheep that's great and it's very useful 
but now you have to have drone and now you have to have camera traps and now you have to have high speed phantom cameras and then you know the list goes on and on so if anybody wants to get into it i would say just dig into all those you know find one get really good at it and then play with another one and just if you've got all these lists of different things that you can do then you become a very valuable asset out there in the field i'm going to text you my address and every month you could just send me another one of the devices and i'll send the other one back <laughs> hey mike when you when you're doing that record function how long does it take for that to write that data how, how long are you down it was about 30 to 40 seconds that you're down so it wasn't like it wasn't like turning on the camera, which took two minutes, but it was just painful enough where you didn't want to watch what was going on. You just wanted to kind of look at something else because you didn't want to know what you were missing. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that was the big thing. And, mm. you know, when I first started using it the first couple of days, I was just recording everything, you know, and I just wouldn't look at what I was missing. But after a while, once I got the meat and potato stuff, the generic kind of stuff, then I started getting more creative with it. And and really saying, ah, no, that one's not worth keeping. I'm going to keep going, or I'm going to keep shooting and see what else I can get. Huh. You thinking about picking one up, Jason? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got a pretty good budget. I was... <laughs> probably, could, probably could find one used somewhere for pretty cheap, I'd imagine. <laughs> I've I got a marine, uh, deep cycle battery. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you contribute that to the project. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I started looking at the batteries for that damn thing, and they were they were expensive. And then the camera, and then that lamp. I think that whole unit, I I tried to add it up, just very generically. This is not dead on, but it was around one hundred forty thousand between the lens and the camera and the and that. And then the down oh the offload process is a whole another thing too. It's not like just throw it into Shotput Pro or drag and drop files on. It's a whole proprietary phantom thing that you have to pull all your files in. So it was a great, awesome learning experience. And it'll be fun to put on my resume now. And I'm no expert. I would love to shoot it 10 more times just to really play with it. But it's only going to be on these shoots like this where you can actually, because you can't, you can't afford to go buy one, you know, and even to go rent one, I don't know what it would, well, I do know what it would, would cost. And it was a lot to rent that camera just for that shoot. Hmm. so it's pretty out of reach for people like us unless you're someone else that's paying the bill what do you mean us <laughs> i couldn't rent one unless i was working for somebody yeah uh i can think of i can think of a few wildlife sequences though that i'd like to have at a thousand frames a second the sharp tails would be awesome sharp tails would be amazing just getting those feet as fast as they go and yeah, that's the yep. first one that comes but to mind. But you think about course, those lighting conditions. Yeah, exactly. Think about those lighting conditions when we were out there, and you think of that early morning light when it's really pretty and those sharp tails are doing their thing. I'll bet you the fastest you could ever get is 400 frames yeah, a second. Yeah, you might be able to light. get to 400 because you'd have yeah, to have might. one eighth or 800th of a second shutter speed, right? So yeah, maybe. Maybe, exactly. But, man, that, yep. that would be amazing. I mean, even in 120 frames a second, that was fun footage to watch. Yeah. But at a at a thousand, I think you get to see the detail, all the little pieces of dirt and grass and 
everything that's flying up when they're actually doing their little dance. Yeah, and then even the the sage grass would be amazing. Anything in nature that is just fast like that, and it's just like your human eye cannot. You see it, and it's cool, but you don't see the intricacies of it, and that would allow you to see the, you know, on the sage grass, you just see those, what do you call the? Air sacs. The air yeah. sacs or the bellows blow up or, and deflate or what? I mean, that would be super cool, slow-mo. But, like I said, in 400 frames a second, you got 11 seconds worth of recording time. So on a camera that's that expensive and that advanced, with solid-state, interior drive to write to how come it's limited to 64 gigs you think nowadays they bump that up I, I think there is one now that's 128 gigs but i don't know if there's one bigger than that sure oh the other thing is the the card that i had to write to those are twenty eight thousand dollars for one card proprietary to the phantom proprietary yeah right whole, yeah totally proprietary wow and, holy moly so yeah, this is the dream like, episode so of Wild and Exposed Podcast. <laughs> Thanks for joining us tonight. If you know the winning lottery numbers, you could. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was thinking about it. If I had a situation, I guess the grouse would be it. That would be the first one that comes to my mind. But anything in nature that is like that would be super. You know, think about, like, uh, isn't it like alligators? Don't alligators when they yeah, what do they the call it roar when they yeah, bellow when they, and all those little water droplets are that I've would got, be kind of I've got stills of it, but a video would yeah. be amazing that fast. But the the hummingbirds that, would be, that you had, hummingbirds, I still think cool. that would be pretty incredible as fast as their wing beat goes. Uh, that'd be great footage as well. Yeah, anything like and you know, there's probably tons and tons of different things out there, but. You'd think about, and if you get a situation where you have access, Ron, you're the perfect example. If, you know, is it worth, if you're trying to get in the business, is it worth spending whatever it would cost to rent that thing for four or five days? $27,000? To, to get that one shot to have on your reel that just says, I can run a Phantom and look at the cool stuff I can do. And look at this I, one shot that I've gotten doing that. <laughs> I think it'd be worth it if you had the right subject yeah and you were really wanting to get into this sort of thing as a full-time gig well i yeah, think i we think all... you had a rent one go ahead jason sorry i think yeah you had... no you're good i think you had a rent one Ron. yeah well could you I'll come and help you get I'll your company to uh front the card my company <laughs> yeah sponsor <laughs> we need a sponsorship to <laughs> just to rent the card Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that untamed images is is going to do that? Yeah, yeah that right. wasn't the company I was thinking of, but oh, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that definitely would be worthwhile. I mean, there's there's a lot of cameras out there that I think would be worthwhile to to rent and get some get some good footage. Um, but I'm trying to do the best I can with what I've got and like the rest of us have to as well and i you know i think it can be done it just requires some time you you're not going to get red quality video or airy quality video or phantom quality video with an r5 but there's some pretty high quality opportunities yeah but here's the flip side to that 
is we're using our fives. I mean, they're totally fine. When I when I suggested using camera traps to the producer for the show, because I was in a situation where that is the only way I'm going to get the shot. The guy's like, okay, that's cool. And then about a day later, he responds and he's like, oh, I checked with our technical department. They love the R5. They're, they're, he said, that's fine. That is a fine camera to, to, we will use that all day long. So yeah, I think that's important to bring up. It doesn't require all this stuff. I mean, it's really cool and, and it definitely is going to enhance your resume if you want to do this to, to know how to operate all that stuff. But you don't have to have any of that stuff. The R5, the Sony S3, whatever, our A7S3, this new Nikon, all of them are going to be totally fine to get. It's more about being creative. It's not going with that tradition. You know, and we all got stuck in it, too. And I think for years, we all shot that one quintessential long lens portrait shot, right? And if you could nail that, you could make it in this business. Then it kind of evolved into, can you get a big animal and a big landscape? So that was more of the wide angle. You know, it's just taking it to the next level with the video, too. You just don't go out and shoot just regular video. You got to try to get that dynamic perspective of something different or get something that's impossible to get by using a camera trap or, you know, just change it up. Just something out of the norm because everybody loves these wildlife shows. Mm-hmm. but now they just want to see it a little differently or now you're going to get them to watch by doing it a little differently. When we were in Yellowstone, Ron, you remember there was that truck that was driving around that had a little, like a unique setup with a yeah, they had a, that shot over shot over yep. rig on it. Yep. 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 So, you know, just another example. I've seen one of those before up there, but this one was different and had a different group of folks that were running it. Um, but yeah, just to your point, it's all about being creative and doing something different. Yeah, and don't let it be the, don't think you have to have these high-end cameras to do it. You can do it with very affordable cameras that we all have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, I am finding quickly <laughs> that having a camera that has built-in ND filters is the ticket. And whether that's yes. the Canon C70, C300, the, the Sonys have built-in ND as well. Um, I don't think Nikon has anything that has it yet, but that it may come. But that's definitely the ticket, so you don't have to be messing around with opening your camera up, opening the body up, opening the lens up, and exposing it to that dust that's a constant in in eastern Wyoming, for sure. And I know a lot of other places. Well, you know, that's the whole reason with it. R5 is why I was why I didn't go to the RF lenses because when you use that adapter that goes from RF to EF, it's got the neutral density in it. Yeah. So now you don't have to open it, expose yeah. it. It's built into the R5. And when you're using long glass, it doesn't it doesn't matter that you have, you know, you're still going to have the drop in capability. But once you get to the the wider angle, you've got to have the adapted glass to to be able to have that drop in capability. Which is, it oh, is nice. I got two more things. So we're using the <laughs> Komodo, the red Komodo on this shoot. Uh-huh. It's not mine. It's the other guy that I'm shooting with. He's shooting it. And I'd never really seen one until I got on this shoot. It's RF coming yeah. out of the Komodo, which is kind of cool. Because he was able to do the RF to EF adapter, run the Canon lens, and use that neutral density 
uh, dropped in filter. So it, it worked out pretty cool um, to have that and just have it in there all the time. And then the other thing is, is uh, when we were down in Texas, Doug was showing me his camera setup. And then he was showing me some footage of a little highlight reel that he put together just for himself. And I was like, what'd you shoot that on? He's like, well, believe it or not, it was this, the Sigma 60 to 600. Yeah. And I was like, huh, I wonder if that is a, you know, how much is it? And I wonder if it would work good on the red. And he was using it on his red. So I called Mike at Precision Camera, our sponsor of the show. And I was driving through Austin, Texas, where his, where his store is at. And he's, he did have one. So I picked one up. And that's what I've been using on the shoot for this whole thing. And 60 to 600 is, is a pretty awesome range. And that lens is super sharp. I heard, though, and you got you can tell me you've used it in the field now, you and Doug both, um, on the short end and the long end it gets a little bit soft. Have you experienced that or no? I haven't. Um, and I haven't been shooting something on the, on the wide at 60 too much. Although I did shoot one thing yesterday and I was like, oh, that doesn't look totally like totally sharp. But the other thing too, is when you're at 60, everything, you know, it's pretty easy to make everything in focus. So right. I'll have to check that out. But just having at 600, it's been fine. It's been you know dead on it looks great so and i've been running it at all apertures too i i run it up to like f11 and all the way down to i think it's i don't even know is it 5.6 at 60 i think i don't know i've been running it a lot at like 6.1 and 6.3 and it's fine but if anybody's looking for an affordable lens it's got a huge range that was the poor man's 52,000, or not the poor man the no that's the poor man, yep, because that's all I can afford. I'm not going to go buy it. Oh. How much was it? Did you? It was $1,999. Mm, right. It's a lot of flexibility in one lens, though. Yeah. And, you know, running, on a, running it on a red is all manual focus anyway, so you don't have to worry about the autofocus system. And, you know, you'll find, I think anybody that gets out there and starts doing video, you'll find the autofocus ends up more of a pain in the butt than what it's worth unless you have a very specific wide open easy to lock on shot but if you have something running through a forest or whatever or like what you talked about a little while ago ron with the metal arc the minute they jump off focus yeah, immediately jumps to something else mm -hmm. and then when it comes back it comes back but an editor is never going to use a shot that goes in and out of focus like that no you it's unusable yeah, so you're better off just leaving it on manual and then just manually focusing everything because you know it's going to be. But then that's a whole one of those practice things where you just got to get really good at manual focus. Just sit out and do the Doug Gardner and sit on the edge of the interstate, practice keeping cars <laughs> coming at you and exactly. cars going away and focus. There's a lot of little cheats, though. I mean, there's peaking, and then there's all these little different tools built into these cameras that allow you to to cheat with that stuff. And I use that all the time, the peaking. Yeah, the R5's got it built in, but then if you use an external recorder, they all have it as well. Yeah, yeah, one of like an Atomos or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the, the D850 does as well, has focus peaking, but it only has it at 30 frames a second. So if you jump up to slow motion which is at 1080 uh you you can't use focus peaking which is kind of a bummer 
but it it does yeah. have that capability. And I don't know, Jason, do you know if the Sony had it? I don't know. I didn't really use it a lot for for video. For for video, yeah. I mean, I tried a little bit, but I just didn't ever really get into it much. So I honestly don't know the answer. So for anybody that doesn't know what peaking is, explain what yeah. it is, Ron. Well, yeah, you'd be able to give a better explanation, but focus peaking, basically, it shows you the focal plane. And the way I have it set it up, set it, the way I have it set up in uh in my camera is it's pink because I mean you have the option of using green but a lot of time you're working in greens so it, it isn't as visible so I have it set up in pink and basically as you turn the uh, the manual focus wheel you are you can watch your focal plane go in and out um, so and then you just choose where you want the focal plane to be sat. So let's just for instance if you got bighorn sheep you want the focus on the eye the darkest pink will be the sharpest focus. So you just keep that darkest pink on the eye and then you it also tells you, you know, how deep you want your aperture set. So you could, you know, you could stop down a little bit if you want to open up if you have that flexibility or you can you can close it close it down sorry um, to have a deeper focal plane so if you've got elk or moose um, the the bigger mammals or bears and you're close up you can close that thing down to like f11 and have a little bit deeper focal plane and you'll be able to visually see the focal plane as you're recording and keep that that darkest color on the point on that animal that you want to be in sharpest focus. And I know you probably have a lot to add to that. It, it's hard to describe without. It see, is. But the minute you see it, you you look at it and you're like, oh, that that is a tool that helps a ton. It's a like on my red, it'll give me an edge. You'll see an edge, which should be a color, either a white. On, on my red, it's either white or red. And you'll see that red edge on whatever's in focus. So if I want an animal's head or eye, is when I see that red appear on that, then I know that's my focal point right there. And if I can, if the animal's moving, I just have to be able to manually pull in or push out with that movement and keep that part, of that edge highlighted the whole time. And then you know you got it. So there are. So if you didn't have those tools, I think it'd be almost impossible, especially with, you know, if your eyesight isn't like perfect at close, you know, because we're only what, 10, 12 inches away from your monitor, and then in bad outdoor, you know, if you're side lighting and you're using a monitor and not a viewfinder, then you got glare and all that stuff that you're dealing with. So there's all kinds of little tools that that make it a lot easier, but. At the end of the day, it's just practice. It's just getting out there and just playing with it, and you'll you'll figure it out. Doug is on a whole nother level as far as his ability. To, I watched him. We were shooting these birds, and I watched him follow. He'd lock onto a bird, and he was able to, in split-second time, judge its flight speed and have his focus wheel turning, keeping that bird in focus as it's coming at him. 
I'm like, there's no way. I tried it a couple of times, and I was like, mm, I'm glad Doug's on this shoot. <laughs> when we met in 2014, he came up and did his TV show. And sharp-tailed grouse are fast, fast. And they're going through all kinds of grass and brush. And, I mean, Jason, you well, we've all shot them now because Mike and Mark came out here and we shot them together. And I know Jason has shot them a lot. Um, but they're fast little birds when they when they get running around the lek and Doug manually focused for stills because he didn't want to take the chance on his autofocus catching grass and kept up with those birds just shooting stills so yeah he is definitely on another level but he's always shot manual focus so it's something that he's had a lot of practice doing so I'm glad that we have autofocus <laughs> <laughs> My portfolio yep. would be pretty slim, I'm afraid. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, that's, that's a lot to download. There was another camera you mentioned earlier. Did you want to so, touch on that? Yeah, we are going to have a show coming up uh, with somebody that's had a lot of infield use with the Sony A1. And hopefully we'll have that coming up soon so we can get that out to you guys while it's still fresh information. Uh, but this guy took it to South America on a couple commercial shoots that he can talk about. And so we'll we'll get him on and discuss that camera. But today, actually, and today is going to be a few days before this airs. But today, Canon announced the R3. Have not announced a final spec list, but... Uh, the rumors indicate that it's probably going to be around the 45 to 60 megapixel range on the sensor. Um, 60 frames a second potential with quad-core autofocus, which is new. Um, there's been talk of a global shutter, which is new. And then, uh, you know, 20 frames mechanical, 20 frames a second mechanical, 30 frames a second uh, with the electronic shutter. And then I don't. One of the rumors said something about a new white balance system. So I'm assuming that it will allow you to kind of fine tune your white balance in the field a little bit easier. Uh, which you know it, it definitely would save some time in post uh, for sure. And then of course uh, 8K. The rumor is unlimited 8K probably closer to what the uh, the Sony A1 is able to do, but only at 30 frames a second. And it didn't say anything, so I don't know if there's going to be 8K down to 6K down to 4K or if it's just 8K or 4K. You know, like some of the, the red cameras that Mike shoots with, they have 8K potential, but then all the increments in between there, you could you can shoot and then you you basically crop the sensor. Is that that's right, isn't it, Mike? Go ahead. Oh, uh, what I, what I was gonna say is like shooting that sixty to six hundred. If I'm at eight K, sixty to six hundred. If I'm at four K, this is crazy, but I don't know exactly what it is. But I think it's almost double. So it'll go from from a six hundred to a twelve hundred. If I go to four K, so it's just cropping in. That gives you a lot, a ton of flexibility. This year continues to be, I mean, it continues to be frustrating in some ways. Like, you know, Mark 
getting out and getting exactly where you want to be up there has been a challenge. We can't get up there. So that's a challenge this spring when we'd like to be up there, you know, meeting up with several people um, and photographing some different areas. However, the technology that's come out of this year, I think is more than it's frustrating because it's like you, you buy something thinking it's going to be, you know, as Mike likes to say, somewhat future proof. And then all of a sudden, two months later into the future, there's something else that comes out that just blows it away and you can't keep chasing it. Otherwise you'd be like me and you'd be broke. (laughs) (laughs) But it, uh, it definitely is, is fun. And, you know, to think of what is coming over the next couple of years as they make all these advances so quickly, it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be in this field for sure. Hey, yeah, I I agree. You know, and I don't know, Ron. Maybe now's a good time. I have I've had like a little bit of a technical issue with my R five. Oh, that yeah, we definitely need to discuss that because I heard it come up again today. Oh, did you really? Yeah. On a, Interesting. When they were talking about the R three, they said that they fixed this problem. But go ahead and, and talk through that because I think it's good for everybody that shoots the R five to know. Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. I haven't heard much about this issue, um, and it's probably because most people are shooting an electronic shutter, and I just like the sound. I like to hear when my shutter's going off, so I've been shooting it with the mechanical shutter most of the time. Um, but what happened? what's been happening is once I shoot for a while, my shutter speed dr- reduces. So if I'm shooting at 12 frames a second in the mechanical, after so much time and it was you know it didn't seem consistent to me but all of a sudden it would slow down to around eight or nine frames a second and then i would keep shooting for a while if i turned my battery off and turned it back on it would shoot at the higher frame rate for a bit but then it would slow right back down again and i was getting really frustrated with this and i was checking message boards and you know google search and all this stuff anyways long story short i couldn't find anything about it Matter of fact, I even mentioned it to Ron, I think, and Mike at one point just to ask the question, hey, have you guys heard of this? And um, so I reached out to our friends at Precision Camera, um, and they were awesome to help support me through this. Um, I actually got a hold of a Canon representative and um, talked through it with one of their technical experts. And the gal was awesome. She chased down the issue for me and basically gave me the feedback that, yes, that is normal. Um, and it's, I guess it's probably in the owner's manual. If I would have ever read it, I probably would have seen this and known <laughs> it and you know how that goes. Those things are just a, those are just a filler to put in the box, right? <laughs> I mean, it's funner <laughs> to figure it out on your own, right? So, <laughs> um, but anyways, long story short, what happens is I can't remember the percentages, but when the batteries get down to like, um, 80, I think it's 75 or 60%. It's um, in that range. It slows down from 12 frames to nine frames, and then when the battery slows, gets down to around the 50 to 40 percent range, it'll slow down again, down into the six frame a second range. So I guess it's just the way it's designed. It's part of the way it goes. Um, if you're shooting the electronic shutter, you'll never see this. It's 20 frames or or one. So it's not. There's not an issue with that when you're shooting the electronic shutter. But just for anybody that may have come across this or had this issue, that's that's what I've found out. So, <laughs> you know, I had that happen with, uh, so it runs with the old Canon LP E6 batteries, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you have the new batteries that come with the camera, it, it performs well. And, but I have noticed that too. 
But if you take an old battery and put it in there, it won't run as fast. So I was kind of figuring it was a, pow a power thing, and it's just however, however much they're packing into those little batteries. And, yeah, for high performance, it's just got to have all the juice. Yeah. Yeah, so she, she said if you're going to shoot mechanical, just carry lots of charged batteries with you. <laughs> <laughs> so but if they fix that on the r3 that's that's good news because it is a little frustrating but yeah they say because it's it's a single grip it's built like the pro cameras like the 1dx's the extra grip or the vertical grip is built onto the the body so it has a different battery type it's got you know more closer to the the pro batteries that are on the 1dx and it says that that issue is resolved Gotcha. So you're going to have that 20 frames a second or 30 frames a second, whatever it is, capability throughout the life of the battery. But yeah, it did come up again to today as I was watching actually the discussion about the R3. And I thought of our conversation and I'm glad you remember to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm assuming they probably addressed the rolling shutter issues too, or improved yeah. it with the R3. Yeah. Well, that global shutter it answers all those questions. Oh, gotcha. What is it? Can you explain that the global shutter? So your, your shutter, the way it is now, it writes one line of data at a time. The global shutter, it writes the whole sensor at uh. once. So it, it looks like, it sounds like the Z nine mark, the, the proposed specs. It sounds like they're talking about, having a global shutter in Nikon, which is the first time for that. Um, but the global shutter, well, the global shutter in any camera system, it's going to be the first time that they've had it because it's been something that's only been in some higher-end video cameras up to this point. Speaking of Nikon, what, any other rumors you can, you can feed? No, I, I've heard, I've seen Z8 and Z9 conversations, but I haven't seen... As of right now, it's just development still. I guess we're still probably a few months or more away. Yeah. I mean, they did come out with those two new models this past winter, but these rumors have people like myself waiting. Why buy the Z or Z7 II if there's a Z9 coming out in four or five months? Like you say, it's it's dizzying. Right, it just you can't sit and wait forever. But this, we've talked about it before. It's the perfect time in some situations to wait because there's not as much going on. But let's hope that changes in the months ahead. Yeah, everybody out there that we're able to travel more and and get into wilderness other than our backyards at time. Right. Yeah, for sure. Michael, I know you got to get up in the morning, so we've been on for. Wow, it was great to catch up with you. It's been, like I said, Skype told me two months since the last time we <laughs> talked. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked. It's been a long time, and I actually haven't posted on Instagram the whole time either. So it's been like I've been checked out, but not because I didn't want to talk to you guys. It's just like it's not been possible you know, with the places. But Whatever. I appreciate you saying that. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ghosting. Dim your, dim your lights. <laughs> plug in the little night light in the corner of the cabin. We'll just keep going. 
Yeah. <laughs> it honestly, tonight's conversation, you felt like a guest that we didn't have to ask questions of. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was just like, la, 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 la. <laughs> I do have a bunch more little things that I've got along the way that have helped out in many different ways, but it's just too much to talk about. We'll do it. Just on make a, a make sure you make a list. I know you always keep the lists in your memos on your phone. So keep that list handy and then we can uh, start sending you some money. We'll buy some of those pro tips from you. For yep. <laughs> that's right. Future episodes. Yeah, I've got a lot of pro tips. <laughs> well, we could spend one of those in the weeks ahead too. Yeah. I've got one. If you're going with somebody that has experience, don't do anything unless they tell you to. Yeah. Lost. Yeah, we're going to get waiting for the story. Yeah. So I had the desire to get the 120 frames a second sage grouse um, shot. And I had this grouse that was like, it was close. I mean, close to the blind. And um, so, and he he kept turning and, and facing right at me when he'd strut. And there was six or seven other birds that were right there with him. And I had somebody in a position that he'll know, he'll be listening to this, but I had him in a position that he would be able to shoot at just about eye level. And then the six or seven birds flushed and flew off. And I looked over and he was out on the ground. And the, I will say the shot that he got may have been worth it because it was one of the most epic sage grouse shots that I've ever seen. However, that ended our shoot. <laughs> it didn't end the friendship, did it? No, no, we're still friends. But he's going to be on a leash from now on. <laughs> Hopefully, he'll laugh when he truck. hears that. <laughs> so yeah, well, I'll say it again: grouse are one of the most frustrating hit and miss critters i've ever photographed they really are they are not as easy i mean when it all comes together it's amazing but so many variables can mess it up it's just not even funny yep and when it gets messed up it's it's done yeah it's over it's done a coyote wanders by you know a golden eagle flies over stinking cows (laughs) cows i had a flick a cow in the nose (laughs) <laughs> we'll put that video up wait can, can we talk about the blind didn't you finish the outside of the blind to look like something well, no i didn't use that blind so oh. i made okay oh. so i had i have another grouse lick that's right on a water hole and so i was i was going to be helping out with a project um with a guy and so i made a uh, a blind that was a black Angus cow, just a black cow. And then just going to drop a a drape over the top of us from behind. So we're in the dark shooting. So there wouldn't, you couldn't see any movement and put it on the water hole. But if I would have had that thing there, I'd have been in big trouble because there was cows (laughs) everywhere because the grouse don't care. I mean, there's cows 10 feet away and the grouse are still strutting right there. And the cows will even come up and sniff them and they just, keep going so they don't mind the cows so i had this genius plan to make this cow blind but i think bad things would have happened (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, Ron, if you ever do decide to do that, let me know because I want to come up and film you <laughs> in the blind. Oh, it's going to happen. It's, I still think it's the most genius thing I've ever come up with. But, you know, I, in a situation where you've got cattle in the same pasture, I think you yeah. might be taking well, your life in your own hands. Let's do it in the fall. I know that they're not strutting in the fall, but it'd still be fun to see you with the blind in the fall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I deer, I think deer would be great with it as well. Yeah. No, I'm not kidding you. I'm No, I I know. I feel I've pretty brilliant with this with this plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's something we need pictures of. Yeah. yeah. I've done it with a pronghorn. They're so curious. I made a pronghorn decoy out of plywood and just crawled underneath it. And they come right after it, especially during the rut. And you don't want to get run over. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it was out of plywood, so you could just pull it on top of your... <laughs> but... All right. Well, pro tips coming up soon. Michael's going to let us in on a whole bunch of them. From his travels in the Sprinter van across the United States, living the dream... Thanks, Michael, for showing us some of the talking about behind the scenes today. Go to wildandexposed.com to see today's show notes, to get some links there, to see about Michael's Sprinter van build and some of the camera setups that he has images of that we can show for the show that's top secret at this point in time. You can also see our and find our store on the website that Michael built, that has lots of wild and exposed swag, great hoodies, t-shirts, caps, mugs, you name it. Those products, we've all tested them. We stand behind them. Everything we've received is fantastic. We wear it. We use it. When you purchase any of those, it helps support our efforts here at Wild and Exposed and is much appreciated. You can find more of our work on YouTube as well. And if, when you're there, please make sure to subscribe. It's free. Give us a thumbs up, positive review, five-star rating. Those help us to gain traction in the busy world of podcasting and YouTube. So once again, it's been great to be with the guys this week. To hear about behind the scenes, get a little teaser, more of a teaser into camera trapping. You've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in town. Mm -mm. Round and round the world we'll go.